Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Hey, everybody. Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. We are the show that is freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we have an interesting topic here for you today on the Doug and Dave Intel Report. We're going to talk about the history that you don't know. In fact, I'd like to do a lot of shows on this stuff because, let's just put it this way, there are people that don't want us to know our history. In fact, they're even changing history books today, the modern history. But that's because we're in a Maoist cultural revolution. But the other is to keep our past from us for various reasons. And we're going to really talk about uh, the caves, the mound builders, and all that stuff. It's going to be really interesting and not geopolitical. Um, We're not sick of geopolitical, but we feel we need a little spice and variety. This show is brought to you by MyPillow.com. And uh, right now with the coupon code Hodges. You can get 50% off all these great products, plus you'll get Mike Lindell's new soft cover book. That's right, free, and an additional $10 off. Now, here's how you get this. You go to MyPillow.com backslash Hodges. Easy to remember. And they have all kinds of stuff, all the sleepwear you want, the, well, the bathrobes, the pillow casings. We have all this stuff. Um, the sheets. Yeah, all that cool stuff that you've seen advertised. Half off coupon code Hodges. That's mypillow.com backslash Hodges. And uh, do I need to say anything about food and water? Have you got two years? Do you have seeds? If not, MPS still has their specials. They have not raised prices. And uh, still the same good 25-year shelf life, 2,000 calories per day. Go to preparewithdave.com. It's really important, people. I can't stress to you how they're using food as a weapon against us. The noose is almost around our neck. I mean, 42 food processing plants burned down since Biden took over. Could it be any more clear? And if you have food, you better have water because they're talking about taking the grid down, roving blackouts, Putin's threats. You may have to scavenge, and if you do, everyone in your family, because of the volume involved, will need water filtration. The Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter is number one. The research is at waterwithdave.com. The bad news, limited shelf life. We only have a few left. Um, by few, we might have a few hundred. And I'm the lone remaining vendor in the United States, and that's not hyperbole, folks. That is a fact. We stopped selling. Then they found some in the supply chain, and uh, this is something you're going to need. So go to waterwithdave.com. You'll see the special, and you'll see, oh, my gosh, they have not raised prices. Nope, we haven't. So that's what's bringing you the show today. Um, Doug, I'm envious. You got to go. Well, maybe not. A man in my advanced age, an adventure for me is pushing an M4 tank sled down my driveway and pulling it back up. That's that's my idea of physical excitement. What you did, <laughs> what you and Amando did, um, I don't even know if I would have done that in my 20s. So uh, I'm glad you're here to talk about the adventure and the historical significance of what you and Amando and your team did. Well, I, yeah, it's good to be with you tonight. Uh, so what we did last weekend uh it was really fun it was uh my first time ever caving 
And uh, you have to know the lingo when you're out with these guys because these are some serious hardcore guys. And it's not spelunking. It's caving. That's what I now, used to know it as. When did it change? Well, so what I was told was that the, spel- <laughs> the spelunkers mm-hmm. are the college kids who go into a cave and get lost, and the cavers are the ones that you send after the kids to rescue them. I see. And after going through... Uh, I think it's at least two or three, yeah, three pretty big caves. Uh, I see why. Now, once again, I'm a rookie at this stuff, so I'm just learning, but uh, I, I'm, I'm typically pretty natural whatever I get to do. And uh, Mondo Gonzalez of Prophecy Watchers is a mountain goat, if you didn't know that. Uh, man, he left us in the dust with anything that we did. Really made me reevaluate why I need to be doing cardio a lot more, to the extent, Dave, that I've already gotten four miles of cardio in this week. So okay, good for you. Uh, yeah, I, I hopefully I'll be able to catch up with Mondo soon. So let me just go ahead and break the ground here. What are we after? Um, we have gentlemen in the field that are the likes of L.A. Marzulli, uh, Tim Alberino, who we just went to his birthright conference. Yes, we did. Uh, and. And then uh, we have other gentlemen like Steve Quell, who's talked about Giants for numerous amounts of years. Uh, you have people like Paul Bagley, who talks about Giants. Well, you know, the thing about talking about the Giants and going and looking for them in caves that you can die in, I find to be two different things. Uh, I, and I'm a bit of an Indiana Jones kid at heart, so what does Indiana always say? He says... Uh, you can't go and find this stuff in a library. So yeah. you have to get out of the library occasionally. Well, Dave, we got out of the library. And let me tell you something. We went to a couple of caves that, uh, for one thing, if you've never been on a, a tour of a cave, I highly suggest if you don't do it by yourself, uh, find a caver, find a professional, and go with that person because... You need to see what they see because the hazards, Dave, I cannot even begin to talk to you about the numerous amount of hazards there are in caves. Uh, there are slips and falls everywhere. Uh, one of the caves that we went to, which would have been the last one on this uh, last trip, we'll hit more here soon. But on this last trip, the last cave that we were in, and, and we have documentation of it, and I should be posting that here soon, editing these videos suck because I do not know what I'm doing. But in the very back, about a quarter mile deep into the ground, was an underground waterfall that was probably 50 feet high and about 40 feet down. So about 90 feet worth of open space where this water is falling through. And there's another tunnel that leads underneath this waterfall back going literally parallel the same direction that we had to crawl through and as you step if you step on certain parts of the floor you could hear the thud and the echo knowing that you're on top of a roof so uh oh was it stable it was very stable but it's a cave (laughs) you know uh and these cavers man they know their craft They'll tell you this cave's been here for thousands of years. If it was going to crumble, it would have crumbled already. Uh, and it was a live cave. So live caves have water still dripping through it, and you still have the formation of stalagmites and stalactites. So the caves that we went through uh, were all live for the most part. And so they said that the, the live caves are, are more... Uh, I guess you could say well fortified than the dead caves are. The dead caves, I don't know if they would say is rotting, but, uh, you know, you have parts of the roof and the floor that are breaking apart. Uh, but within these live caves that we went to, clay, just clay everywhere. So you're slipping and sliding. Everything is wet. Every handhold, every foothold, wet clay. Now, wet clay and a, and a round rock does not make for a good handhold. Uh, luckily enough for me, when I was a young kid and I was in the Marine Corps, I did a lot of free climbing, even though now I'm grossly overweight to do free climbing. Uh, but hey, guess what, Dave? 
I'm 278 pounds now, so four weeks ago it was 298. So I'm trying to get down because I need to get myself in shape to get into these deeper areas because what we found, to me, was astonishing. A quarter mile deep into one of these caves, we found areas where the Native Americans, the First Nations people, were using parts of the caves as ovens to either bake or burn stuff a quarter mile back. So in this cave, this one cave, we'll call it the low cave, this low cave that we were in, we literally had to crawl on our hands and knees down to our bellies in certain parts. And it is pitch black. If you've never been in complete black darkness, go into a cave. And uh, it's an eerie thing, man. When you go in there and you turn off the lights, and don't don't let me forget a ghost story already. Uh, when you go oh, in there, and you turn off. Oh yeah, and you turn off the lights. Nothing. You can't see your hand in front of your face. And so we did that a couple different times. Our guide, uh, Billy, he took us through, and uh, the other guide, Brent. Uh, these guys are modern day explorers and cavers, and just real cool guys to hang out with up there in Arkansas. And uh, we're crawling through. We turn off the lights, and, man, you can't see nothing in front of your face, which just reminds you of another hazard, Dave. And I believe it when I saw it. You always have at least three or four flashlights on you. Uh, if your headlamp went out and that's all you brought and you're a quarter mile deep, buddy, you're stuck. You are going to be on your hands and knees crawling and Dave, I'll tell you, man, there are different parts of these caves that we were in, especially the, the, the low cave that had the waterfall in it, where if you did not focus on the ground consistently, you would have fallen into a slip, into a hole that was always conveniently the size of a man, and you were going to probably fall between 30 and 60 feet deep. Nice knowing you. And not get out. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about it, these guys are in there at times. They're, they have, you know, they go in there in teams, and they're they're looking for artifacts. And they do find quite a bit of artifacts. In fact, I have a few on me that we found in some of the caves. One of the caves that we were in, it's a very well-known cave. It's a private cave. Uh, but because of the area that we were in, we don't want to disclose it because here's the problem. When you disclose these caves, and I was there, and I saw it, the amount of trash, the amount of trash that people leave whenever they go through these caves, and they just, they scour the entire cave looking for artifacts, and then they leave their trash, they deface the walls, or there'll be pectographs in there, and they'll deface them, which is very sad to see stuff like that happening. Uh, and the, and here's another another portion for you. We found hypodermic needles in one of them. So one of the things that the drug addicts like to do is they like to go inside the cave, out in the complete darkness, and they like to shoot up their heroin or their meth, and then they like to trip out in the darkness of a cave. So, very dangerous. You never know who's in a cave. You never know what animal is in a cave. I was told that Typically, bears and mountain lions and the such uh, don't go further than about 30 or 50 feet back into a cave because then it gets too dark and it starts to get cold. Uh, so uh, the areas that we were in, we didn't have any animals like that. But the only animals you will see that far deep are going to be cave rats, which uh, I didn't get to see any, thankfully. But from my guides, they told me they're about the size of a possum. Imagine a rat the size of a possum. And from what I was told, they will come and say hi to you. So that's terrifying. Uh, and then the other thing are the insects. The amount of spiders, scorpions, uh, the cave crickets, which are just enormous. And then, of course, the friendly bats. That's your typical critters. Uh, we found some cave spiders about the size of your palm. So there are some big ones in there, but typically, you know, these guys will scurry out of your way. Uh, but once again, in every cave that we went to, there was an area for you to slip and fall potentially to your death in every single direction. And one area where I was standing where we had to climb 
uh, about seven feet off the ground from <laughs> we had to climb on top of a stalagmite and it was pyramidal shaped so you had to stick one foot on the top of this sharp pyramid and then you had to more or less jump and climb up a very questionable rope with very questionable knots uh, and climb up this slick uh, shelf that was probably at a 45-degree angle, solid clay. And so you get almost no foot foundation at all, no handholds, barely any handholds. And I will say this, uh, there were some handholds off to the right, and they were actually etched into the rock by the Native Americans where they would put pegs, uh, wooden dowels or pegs that they would make for their handholds to go up in there. So that's that's very ingenious, right? Mm-hmm. However, we didn't have that. We had a questionable rope. And <clears throat> if that rope would have would have snapped, hmm. if you would have slipped, you would have surely impaled yourself on a stalagmite. So, once again, the danger is every direction. And if you didn't impale yourself... We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts and help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here, and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Did you know that the World Economic Forum now, they in the last meeting they convened, they actually had a water board there with water experts, and they tell us our water is in danger and they have to take control of our water. Does that bother anybody? I'm sure it does. And I begin thinking right now about water safety. And we already know there's lead in the water, chemicals in the water. A lot of it's not safe to drink. But we have the answer for you. It's called the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. It's the best there is. And scientifically, they leave nothing to doubt as they publish their research at waterwithdave.com. And it's my choice for water filtration. Gravity powered. It reduces 206 contaminants. It targets heavy metals, fluoride, chlorine, and viruses. It is the best there is in the business. And you can read all the research on this simply by going to water with dave.com that's water with dave.com save eighty dollars for a short time you would have slipped right underneath this little shelf and fallen about 80 feet down into blackness so are caves fun absolutely beautiful and uh when i post some of this footage in here i think many people will love it uh, but caves are extremely dangerous and we went in there uh, without any hard gear we went in there completely soft the two caves that we went into from what I was told we didn't really need gear uh, so we you know we went in there just with the uh, the recording equipment and hey man there's another one if you go into these caves and you want to record anything all I had was my dang cell phone my cell phone and an old tactical flashlight I had back when I was a police officer. And uh, as you were slipping and jiving, moving across stalagmites, trying not to fall into these little slip holes where you could be lost forever in, I had two items in my hand to the point that eventually 
I had to put a flashlight and a phone in one hand or just turn everything off and grab and crawl. So if you're going to do stuff like this and you're going to film, have the proper equipment. Get a GoPro that you can attach to your head or to your shoulder or to your chest. Be safe. If it wasn't for the fact that I had guides with me and if it wasn't for the fact that I, you know, had already been at least two Ks by now, I, I got the feel of what I'm doing. I don't think I would have had anything in my hands except for a flashlight. And, you know, my headlamp went out at one point. Thank God I had a flashlight. So, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the only way they could have carried fire, the only way the Native Americans could have carried fire all the way back in there would have had to have been by torch, or by some sort of a device that they would have made to carry fire in their hands uh, and, and move their way all the way into the back. So a quarter mile back into complete darkness where this waterfall is, yeah. we found this baking area where they were making well, they were making some sort of pottery or something, but we, we found a couple of arrowhead points made out of turtle shells. So... You know, they had definitely been in there, and in, this is the same cave where the uh, the old story is that that's where Jesse and Frank James used as one of their hideouts after Frank had been shot from robbing a railroad train. Uh, so, really cool area, and it was also a known cave for where moonshiners would come in there and put their moonshine. Really? So, oh yeah. So during the course and period of the American history. These caves have been used by prehistoric man, prehistoric animals, by the First Nations people, by bank robbers, by moonshiners, and also by explorers. So when you go into these caves, it is a treasure trove of artifacts. Not only that, but it is just gorgeous to, to look at how these caves were formed and all the various different formations, especially up towards the roof where the bats will like to come and crawl on your face at. Uh, you'll find all different types of really cool stuff. And we had a, uh, I have a UV lamp, uh, flashlight, a high powered UV flashlight. And we would go in there and we would hit different stuff with the UV. And, you know, the, the roof would turn from that bland, sandy color to blues and oranges and greens because of the different algae or the different bacteria that's on the walls. Uh, so it's really cool stuff. It's very gorgeous when you're in there. And I, I strongly admit, you know, if you can't go on to some of the wilder caves, then go on a professional cave tour where they've already carved everything out. You got the rock uh, uh, walkway, the concrete walkway, but it's not the same, Dave. When you get to crawl on it, yeah. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the historical significance. Now, the adventure to extract this is dangerous, but uh, tell me some of your takeaways from the experience. Well, in every cave that we went to, and there are still more on the list, there's there's actually several. This whole area of Arkansas and the Ozark Mountains is littered with tales of giant skeletons. You mean so, as in the old legendary giants? As in the old Nephilim, the Raphaim. Got it. Uh, so this is the same same stuff that the great Tom Horn and Steve Quayle made their videos and books over, and Timothy Alberino was the director of those films. Uh, these are the same things that L.A. Marzulli goes out there and uh, experiences for himself and crawls through. And Mondo Gonzalez, who is our uh, archaeologist, he came in there with us because if there was anything of significance that we're going to find, because we're working on a project right now for some, somebody else, so what we're doing is all a reconnaissance mission. So if we were going to find anything, I wanted to have an archaeologist with us, and uh, so did uh, my partner Brent. And Brent is a modern-day explorer. He's a modern-day uh, Indiana Jones himself out of Arkansas. And uh, he's the one who had this bright idea for us all to come in there and go caving. Just based off the artifacts alone, it was worth it. But when you get into what I'm about to read to you, this is when it really, it really starts to pick up the what ifs because we have to question history. Now, I'm I'm a amateur historian, uh, so what does that mean? An amateur historian means I'm a nerd and I like history. 
Uh, I'm not a lettered historian, but I do study my history, Dave, and I do know that we do have entities such as the Vatican, such as the Smithsonian, who's an attachment of the Vatican, who, if you get into the lore and legend of America, has covered up and destroyed and extracted between two and 3,000 giant skeletons across the United States from First Nations people's documentation as well. These things, these uh, creatures, these people were there. Now, in this area that we're at, there's another part of this mystery. In this area that we're at, we are being told through Native American lore and even through archaeologists that are there in Arkansas that there are elongated skulls. The same elongated skulls that Timothy Alberino and uh, L.A. Marzulli found and touched and documented and DNA tested down in Peru. So this is what we are after. And, you know, the hard part about this is that you have to get out there in the middle of nowhere sometimes uh, and you have to make resources. You have to, uh, let's say, you have to tap into the local populace and make contacts to get to know the lore. We, we talked with a woman who was a museum curator. And she told us that the best way that you're going to find out anything that you want to know about these hills and these mountains and these caves is you need to go to where all the old men gather in town and drink coffee or drink beer and sit there for a couple hours and just ask. So we had the ability, thankfully, to hook up with some of those guys. And that's how we got onto the trail. And the few different caves that we hit, we found so far a about 1300 or older 1300 year old or older uh, spear point which is called a calf creek point which within the collector's idea is extremely rare to find and we found it within about five minutes of being in this cave so that's an amazing find already and that goes to show you that prehistoric man was in these caves and they're everywhere in one of these other caves that I'm not going to give the, the location out to, our uh, our guide had found human remains. And while we were in there, we don't know, we can't verify, but we're fairly certain that we were finding human remains all over the place. And I mean snapped bones where the marrow would be taken out of. So we don't know if this is cannibalism. We don't know if this is sacrificial. We don't know if this is a, uh, you know, whatever it could be. Uh, but it wouldn't have been a burial ground. We do know where there were burial grounds uh, all throughout the outside of the cave and on a certain portion of the cave. And we don't go in and disturb stuff like that. All right. We're not those people. So we just want to go in and explore and talk about it. And if there's something laying at your feet, you're going to pick it up. You're going to examine it. And that's what we were able to do. But I was fascinated with the amount of bone litter that was all over one section of this cave. And in the legend and lore, and we're not going to get into it too much until we verify, uh, but there are decapitated skulls laying throughout oh, oh, oh the my. bottom part of this cave. Now, how old? Is this recent, uh, like murder no, mysteries, or is this ancient? Ancient. So these skulls were supposedly very ancient. They were burned, uh, decapitated, no bodies found, so no skeletal remains. And we have to ask the question, why the decapitation? And it was a cave that was within this cave. So this this one portion of this cave is at the very bottom base of the floor, which means that at one point in time, this sand and sediment was brought into this cave and covered up this entrance. So this entrance had to be excavated. All the dirt had to be exhumed. And then you can crawl in and your hands and feet are, or excuse me, your hands and knee the entire way through the, this portion of this cave. And this is what's so very dangerous about this is that these <laughs> these unexplored portions of caves, you don't know when there can be a cave-in. And in this depth, if there's a cave-in, you're most likely going to die. So we have to be extremely cautious. And, I mean, we're working inch by inch. And uh, when the artifacts, Dave, 
are literally every time you you put your hand down, if you just brush the hand with your ground, artifacts are coming through your fingers. So this was obviously a cave where uh, generations upon generations, possibly hundreds of generations of men of man, uh, excuse me, have been living in and using this cave. So various different tribes, various different peoples, and if the lore is correct, in this cave, and we're about to read part of this. There was a seven and a half foot woman that was pulled out of here. What? There was a seven and a half foot woman uh, pulled out of here, and her body, da da da, was taken to the Smithsonian. Ah, Over dramatic sip of coffee, never to be seen again. So, this is part of the problem, and I want to read to you that an article. That came from a gazette in Arkansas in 1941. So, at the end of this article, let's just go ahead and skip to the gushy part. About three years ago, Colonel Williams unearthed a seven-foot skeleton from the cave, where among the first men on the first, uh, where he believes the first men were. These men were the first men on the American continent. Excuse me. So what's really impressive about that is that we have military archaeologists that are in here that are exhuming caves and finding artifacts and skeletal remains of people. And if you correspond what we found and then you take that back to places in Peru, when Steve Quell and Timothy Alberino were going through Peru, I was there with them as the uh, added security, and we were on a tour. Um, what they were being told by the natives that are within the Amazon forest is that the giants that were found there were buried in caves, and then the people would be who would die would then be buried alongside the giants. Uh, and they would do ancestral worship of the skeletons of the giants. Now, uh, you take this all back into, I believe it's in Lima or the Paracas, Peru, where there's actual Spanish inquisitors who wrote down and documented what I'm about to tell you. They documented how they would go through and they would find these caves where there was ancestral worship of bones, giant bones. They would exhume it, and then they would burn it all and destroy it because you cannot have any pagan worshiping for the uh, for the Vatican's. So all these ancestral areas were destroyed. That I believe is similar to what happened in the United States. I think the Smithsonian took a lot of that and pulled it into uh, their deeper archives that are a couple levels down. And I kick myself all the time, Dave. I kick myself all the time. Because when Donald J. Trump was inaugurated, I actually bumped into a museum curator who was in one of the lower levels of the Smithsonian and almost had me a free tour, me and some of the guys I was with, uh, because we were able to assist his wife. And... uh, so we unfortunately missed the date. Uh, we had to get on our plane and fly back to our, our home base locations. But we almost got to go down into the levels, the catacombs, more or less, of the Smithsonian, where you don't get access. The Common Sense Show is proud to be able to bring you some very special deals for MyPillow. For example, they've got half off MyPillow bed sheets, more than half off their slippers, their sandals, their mattresses, their topper covers, women's lingerie. Now, they have extremely great products, as you all know. Ladies and gentlemen, right now go to MyPillow.com backslash Hodges. Use the coupon code Hodges to take advantage of these great opportunities. MyPillow.com backslash Hodges, coupon code Hodges. Just to go down into, and that's their warehouses. Um uh, so, you know, kick myself in the butt. I missed on that opportunity. However, I think it is fascinating that there is so much cover-up today, present day, of the giant skeletons from archaeologists and scientists. And uh, Billy, who is one of our cave guides, 
and this was his area. So he he knows at least twenty or thirty different caves. Uh, and I'll and I'll I'll say it to you like this: the reason why we we like Billy so much, Brent, who is another caver, who's uh, who's the original explorer for us for our team. Uh, he's got over 600 artifacts that he's found. Billy has over 15,000 artifacts. So this is a man who lives in caves, knows the caves, and he flat out told us on camera, because we asked him what does he think about archaeologists in the area, and when they come to these caves, and he said they are lying. They're not telling you what's in these caves. They're not telling you what's being found. And if anything, they're in here for a couple hours, and then they leave, and then they write this huge paper about stuff that they found when they're only in there for a couple hours. And he said, in this cave that I'm sitting at right now, I probably have 3,000 hours in. So there's a difference here. And one of the things that I'm doing with this uh, series that I have, the America's Most Unexplained series that's on my show. I want to be able to get out there into the wild, what I'd like to call a podcast in the wild, and get to know these people, these modern-day explorers, who you don't get to hear their story, you don't get to hear the facts, and you get told a different level of truths uh, compared to what is really happening by the modern-day explorers. And I believe the modern-day explorer in America is being completely overshadowed by the educated people within the area of archaeology. And even Mondo Gonzalez of Prophecy Watchers, who was there with us, is a lettered archaeologist, would tell you, don't believe everything you hear from the scientist. Don't believe everything that you see wrote in books. There's a lot of covering up and covering over. There's a lot of uh, pseudoscience that's out there that we also know of. But there is so much that we have found just within three days that makes me really question half the stuff that we've been told just through uh, like high what? school Let's level. go through some myths. What are some okay. of the things that you question? When, when you went through uh, high school, did you ever hear about giants? Only in legend like Jack the Giant. Yeah. They never told you that these people, the First Nations people, worshipped them. In one of the caves, one of the first caves that we were in, and two of these different caves, and we know of at least four, but two of the different caves that we went into, the evil chiefs, the bad chiefs, were buried in tombs and sealed off in these caves, and they were both giants. So two different caves... Two different evil chiefs, both in, both entombed, both giants. Sit one of the other caves, a seven and a half foot tall woman exhumed, or exhumed. She was a giant. Now, could a seven and a half foot tall person have been around for the First Nations people back then? It's a very, very likely possibility. We have plenty of NBA level people that tall uh, in modern day, but. That would have still been a rarity for back then. You know, she could have had any of the gigantism uh, problems. So we don't really know because we don't have the body. But we are, and I can't get too much into this because it's kind of kind of classified material for us right now. We don't want everyone to know what we're doing. But we are reaching out to certain places uh, in Arkansas where we can find, hopefully, and document elongated skulls. So the elongated skulls that we're going to be documenting, according to one of the archaeologists, she identified these people with elongated skulls as a people, as a specific race, and not people that were doing cradle headboarding for the children. That can change everything in America. That would prove that a ancient race of people that are only exclusively documented down in Peru for right now as far as I know we're here in America and if we can prove it if we can get the same type of uh, evidence as some of our other colleagues have I think we can really change history because that proves and, and what we have to do now is if we prove this we're going to have to take a whole new look at all the historical facts that we have across the country 
because there's a story here that's not being told purposely at this point. Now, we know there is such thing as cradle headboarding. Explain that. We, I'm, I'm not familiar so, with that phrase. Cradle headboarding is when an infant is born, they would take two planks of wood, and then they would bind it to the infant's head, and the infant's head would grow in an elongated fashion. Mm-hmm. Now, who does that and why? Well, cradle headboarding uh, is in several different First Nations people. Uh, it was done in South America. It was also done in Egypt. Uh, one of the pharaohs, I can't remember which one, it was well known for having a elongated skull. Uh and this is where probably your next interview needs to be with L.A. Marzulli so that he can get into this nitty-gritty for you. Because the elongated schools were also part of what um, Joshua and Caleb found and fought against after crossing the River Jordan. And they had a tribe of Nephilim, Raphaim, whatever it is that we want to call it, uh, the the children of the watchers, the children of the fallen angels, uh, they had elongated skulls. At least one tribe had elongated skulls. So if we have that connection back in ancient day uh, Israel, Jerusalem area, and then we have it into South America, and then we have it in North America, then I would want to know which one came first. Because it then really starts to get interesting. Because if you listen to the stories of the Peruvian people who live in the Amazon, who still carry on the folklore, much like how the Native Americans do here in America, uh, by tales and by lore, which I still think is a very accurate way. The Vikings did that for generations uh, because they didn't have a written language. So it's very similar. And I think it's very accurate still. And what the Peruvian people will tell you is that long, long time ago, these giants came across the water and showed up on these gigantic ships. Uh, and I believe they said were made out of reeds. And those ships, according to the way that they were built and constructed, sounded much like the Phoenicians that were over in the Middle East. The Phoenicians being a part of the Philistines and all that other good stuff. So once we really start to get down this path, does it sound like the giants escaped at some point in time, a a series of them escaped, floated across the pond, across the Pacific or the Atlantic, depending on which direction they came from, and then came into South America and migrated up north? Or did they hit North America and South America? We don't know that yet. But there's too many similarities, and that's why what's happening right now in North America with our expedition and maybe a few others that could be happening soon is that we want to link that. I think that changes everything. And what it does is if if we can find this, if we can prove it, then it proves the biblical narrative of the Nephilim, of the Raphaim, of the giants. And what does that do at this point in time? That kills Darwinian theory. That kills the atheist theory of Darwinium. That uh, completely beats up, I guess you could say, the uh, evolutionists. And it forces mainline archaeologists, paleontologists, anthropologists to change their narrative and get back into the field and out of the textbooks. All they do at this point in time is regurgitate history. History can still be found, and it's found deep in caves. It's found underground, and uh, we we are going to be pairing up, and I don't want to get too much into this. We're going to be pairing up with someone very famous uh, that many people know, and we're going to hopefully proceed more into this uh, archaeological discovery of ours. And I really do hope that we can change a lot of people's points of view. And I want to read to you something that came uh, from, I think this is 1907, all right? So this is an article that comes uh, that I I had to uh, prescribe to to find. And it, it took me a while to scour through this, but I found it. All right, so just listen to this. Remains of Giants in Arkansas from the Memphis Appeal. 
and this is the Chickasawa. So, two miles west of Barfield Point in Arkansas County, Arkansas, on the east bank of the lovely stream called Pemiscot River, stands an Indian mound, some 25 feet, uh, 25 feet high and about an acre in an area at the top. This mound is called the Chickasawaba, and from it, the high and beautiful country surrounding it and some 12 square miles in an area derives its name, the Chickasawaba. A number of years ago, and this is back in the 1900s, the early 1900s, guys, in making an excavation into or near the foot of the uh, mound or portion of a mound, a gigantic human skeleton was found. The men who were digging, becoming very interested, unearthed the entire skeleton. And from measurements given us uh, by reliable parties, the frame of the man to whom it belonged could not have been less than eight feet or nine feet in height. It could not have been less. Andre the Giant... One of the largest athletes the world has ever seen was seven foot four and was five hundred pounds. He was not eight foot tall. He was not nine foot tall. At nine foot tall, we're starting to get into the Goliath series. The largest man to ever live on earth that was recorded back in the early nineteen hundreds, I believe. Uh, just barely crested seven foot eleven, maybe a little bit more than eight feet, and he had gigantism. Uh, died at a young age, and could barely walk. So, if and, and think about this, Dave, we understand how brutal life was in the prehistoric age, right? We understand just how brutal life was. There's no way. You are going to be so big. And this is just my mindset. There's no way you're going to be so big, seven, eight, nine foot tall with gigantism, uh, and survive very long. I just don't, I just don't think it's going to be there because the amount of food it's going to take to, uh, to feed you, the amount of walking that these people, the First Nations people did, because they, most of them were a migratory people within this area of the mounds. I just don't think that type of person is going to make it very far. And I don't think that type of person would have lived very long, maybe not even to the point of getting to such a gross height. Uh, I could be wrong, but typically we don't hear about stuff like that throughout history. A couple times we've heard about it, and it was in the Bible. All right, Those were different types of men. Those were the mighty men of renown. Those were the giants. Uh, could they be the same relatives of the biblical giants? There's possibilities. I'm never going to say it's not, and I'm never going to say it is. I'm going to tell you that there's possibilities. So getting back in this article. Under the skull, which is easily slipped over the head of our informant, who we will hear state is one of our best citizens, was found a peculiarly shaped earthen jar resembling nothing in the way of Indian pottery which had been made before uh, and had been seen by them. It was exactly the shape of the round-bodied, long-necked carapace or water decanters, a specimen of which may be seen on Gaston's dining table. So this is one of the archaeologists, Gaston. The material of which this vase was made was a peculiar kind of clay, and the workmanship was very fine. The belly or body of it was ornamented with figures of hieroglyphics consisting of a correct delineation of human hands parallel to each other, open palms outward and running down the vase. The wrists to the base and the fingers towards the neck. All right, so that's talking about the hieroglyphics that were wrapped all the way around this. On either side of the hands were tibia or thigh bones, also correctly delineated, running around the vase. I, I, I don't know why they they wrote that, but they're being you know as exact about this as possible. 
There were other things found with the skeleton. But this is all that our informant remembers at the time. Since that time, whenever an excavation has been made in this area of this country, in the neighborhood of the mound, similar skeletons have been found. Similar giant skeletons have been found. And under the skull of every one were found similar funeral vases, almost exactly like the one described. There are now in this city several of the vases and portions of these huge skeletons. One of the editors of the appeal yesterday measured a thigh bone, which was fully three feet long. That's your femur, three feet long. All right, that's a big femur. Uh, the thigh and shin bones together with bones of the foot stood up in a proper por- position in a physician's office in the city measures five feet in height. Could you imagine playing against that guy in basketball? His legs were five feet tall. <laughs> Post him up. Um, <clears throat> let me tie this into something else if I can. The more you're talking about this, I keep going back to Genesis 6, but I think this is where we're headed. Any way to do a DNA analysis? If we're lucky. That would tell you a lot. Yeah, if we're lucky. The the problem... Here it is, Dave. It's uh, 12.43 in the morning, and I'm pouring me my second cup of coffee. The problem is getting the permits and permissions. And once again, here's another problem. In certain areas that we're going to be at, we have to ask certain people to get permission to film and to document skeletal remains, the um, supposed elongated skulls that one of the head archaeologists of Arkansas says is a readily identifiable skull. And here, you want to hear something weird about this? She said uh, in one of our corresponding emails, she said, you know, I was a, I was a archaeologist in Egypt for 10 years. And we found, uh, what we would call little people and not, not people that had, uh, anything to do with any type of medical problems, but legitimately uh, elvish-like people. And then we've also found giant remains all throughout Egypt. Never found it here in America. And I, and I we were kind of corresponding back and forth. And uh, this is what's odd. How do archaeologists who believe in this stuff she put her hands on these skeletal remains in Egypt and then in America with all this documentation that happened back in the early 1900s. And, and you know, this is the 20th century. And they're telling us that it never happened. It was never documented. So there are problems here, right? And there are voids of information. But prodding a little bit further... Our team was able to find, as she was telling us, that she found regularly in this area elongated skulls that she said assumed to just be a race of the First Nations people with elongated skulls naturally forming. Like the, I believe it's the Anakim of the, uh, of the Bible, and just like what was being found in Paracas, Peru. And we didn't want to scare her or go any further with information because, listen, man, in this world, it's held lock and key by the PhDs and by the state. If you want to play nice and you want to get in to see some information, sometimes you don't disclose everything. So we don't want to you know, show our full hand and say, hey, look, we're trying to prove a biblical narrative until we have what we have. Because you can scare people off. You never know who it is that you're talking with or dealing with. In my mind, I think it's too late because as I'm hearing you talk, and I have fair knowledge of uh, what you're talking about, but not to the detail that you certainly do. Um, 
as I hear you speak about this, my mind goes directly to the fact that this government knows the truth. Absolutely. They passed the truth down. And the truth is, is that the human race isn't one purebred race. And that we need to take a look at the alternative DNA, alternative uh, humanoid um, people, if that's indeed what you can call them. And uh, I would say this was the reason for the flood. Um, you see where I'm going with this. Well, here, let me tell you And, and I'm just listening to you in one show, Doug, and I, and I can go right back to Genesis 6, and I say, I see why God did the flood. Exactly. Exactly. And let me tie this in with the ending of this article from uh, the early 1900s. And we got about two minutes. Okay. So the ending of this article says this. We dug up a ditch and found another uh, body with leg bones measuring five to six feet in proportion with the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. Five to six foot long altogether leg bones. In a very few days, we hope to be able to lay before our readers accurate measurement and descriptions of the portions of skeletons now in the city and of the articles found in the graves. It is not a matter of doubt that these are human remains, but a long, but of a long ex- extinct race, a race which could flourish, lived, and died many centuries ago in those days told in Scripture. So this could predate the flood. Possible. We, we don't know. Could it be a circuit? It, it's something you've got to look at is what I'm saying. Yeah, but it's yeah. right there in Arkansas, in America, and the PhDs know it, and they don't talk about it. because they don't want to validate the bible exactly it's mm-hmm. listen i've said this before and i'll say it again the war is against jesus christ it's not against That's right. uh it's not against the muslims it's not against the the buddhists it's not against you know whatever religion or or, or craziness that's out there the war is always to discount christ and it's not going to work <laughs> it's not going to work you know, I say a little prayer, and uh, this morning was like others, and I said, uh, God, lead me in the way you want me to go, and tell the people what they need to hear. <laughs> okay, I think prayers answer. This was pretty amazing, and I don't think we're done. Um, I'm not even an expert, but just what I know, I know what you've got's huge. And you need to disseminate this as quickly as possible because I don't think you're going to be permitted to hang on to the secrets. I think your best protection for your entire group is uh, the light of day. Yeah, yeah, it is. And that's why we have to have solid evidence because we don't – I am not the one to give people a bunch of uh, hoopla and hearsay. I want to give you facts. Yeah, right. But you've given a lot of facts here. And oh, yeah. You, you've given a very strong case for parallel, I hate to say homo sapiens, but you know where I'm going with this, parallel homo sapiens. Well, giant ho- homo sapiens. Yes. You see, this makes me wonder, too, about David fighting Goliath. You know, what's the significance there? Was Goliath just an aberration genetically, or was he the descendant of what you're finding? Well, when young David was down at the river, he collected five stones. One was used on on Goliath, and the rest were for his brothers. His brothers were all kings of other portions, and Goliath was a king of his area. So David, David already had his numbers lined up of who he was going after. And at the end of the day, let me just say this, and then we can sign off. I hope that what I'm doing can motivate people to get up off of their excuses and go and explore this country and have fun doing it. Exactly. I, I'm not I'm not an archaeologist. I was a cop for ten years and I'm out there doing it. I just hooked up with the right people. These people are within your areas. Hook up with them. Okay. Make it Doug, we gotta hold it right there because I gotta say this. Where to listen to Doug's show? GSradio.net, American Vindicta. And uh, same thing on YouTube. Yep. And give out your website real quick. So that's AmericanVindicta.com. AmericanVindictaShow.com. Okay. Uh, Fascinating stuff, Doug. Thanks a lot for this report here on the Doug and Dave Intel Report. Happy to facilitate it. Talk to everybody later. Thanks, Dave. 
We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts to help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here. And we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com. And what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground. And you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold. Not in false walls, but underground. will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more... Go to BarrierGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee.